0: So I've lived in Nashville for about five years now, moved here uh, in the fall of 2013, and it's been kind of crazy. You know, when I got here, people were already talking about the, the rapid rate of change in Nashville, and yet over the last five years, I've just continued to see Nashville just rapidly changing, you know, buildings where there didn't used to be buildings, and neighborhoods where there didn't really used to be neighborhoods, and just stuff popping up all over the place, and Um, One of the things that I observed when I first got here was that as Nashville seemed to be kind of on the the cusp of this kind of change in our city, um, I I got to hang out with a lot of people that had lived in Nashville for a long time. So I remember I started hanging out with the Ethos team and um, for me as a newcomer to the city, it was kind of like, oh wow, this is kind of exciting. But often the sentiment I heard amongst long-term Nashville residents was, man, what's happening to our city? (laughs) Like what's going on? And often this came in the form of, kind of talking about long-standing like, restaurants or stores that seem to be struggling amidst the rapid change, right? So I remember this in particular with one, one restaurant. How many of you remember Substop that was in the pink building? Yeah, we got a few like loyal Substop fans in here. I think all of them might have been on Ethos staff. I'm not really sure. For whatever reason, Ethos staff loved Substop. And I can remember when I came here, they were all just talking about what great subs they had. I remember going there. But I also remember very clearly the day I showed up at the Ethos office and, and they were, everybody was kind of grieving. Everyone was kind of somber because they had just heard that Substop was going to be shutting down because some evil corporation had bought the block that it was on, and they were gonna build a large condo building there, and Substop had nowhere to go. And I remember everybody going the last day of business and buying subs to pay their tributes to this you know, Nashville icon and get a sub sandwich soaked with mayo. You know, it was kinda of like, this was, everybody was super excited about it. That as Nashville has changed, we've seen these businesses that are near and dear to people's hearts kind of, kind of vanish and disappear. And at the same time, we've seen another thing happen. We've seen other businesses that have come and gone that nobody even blinked an eye at. I think just down the road from our office uh, at at Ethos, there was this new condo that went up and there was this chain that went in called Blaze Pizza. Has anybody ever eaten a Blaze Pizza? A Pizza Fire. That's what it was called. Sorry, Pizza Fire. Thanks, Katie. Pizza Fire. Has anybody ever I didn't even know the name of it. (laughs) Has Has anybody ever eaten a Pizza Fire? Like nobody even knows it was there. It like came in it opened and literally in a matter of weeks, it shut down again. It was just like that in a blink of an eye. It was here and then it was gone. And as Nashville changes, we're seeing these things happen where some businesses that people love, they mourn and they grieve because they're gone. And some businesses, people never even knew they were there and then they're gone. And as I've thought about that this week, it kind of made me wrestle with kind of a question for us as a church, for us as the church, which one of these business would more aptly describe us or compare to us as a church at Ethos? And here's, here's what I'm asking, you know, if we as a church, God forbid, if we as a church ended up having to close our doors and shut down and stop gathering, would the city notice? Would, would the neighborhoods around the cannery, would they notice? Would they miss us or would we just miss us? You know, I wonder if people would miss what God has been building here. Would they mourn the loss of what God has been doing amongst our church family, or would just those who are inside begin to grieve it? Today, you know, we're starting a new series. And the series is called For the City. And we're we're gonna spend some time just exploring what it looks like to be a church that radically lives out lives for Jesus for the sake of our city. You know, each week we will explore one way in which we are called to use our lives so that the city around us would see and glorify God Almighty. And so that's this whole series kind of between now and December is gonna be for the city, how we as a church get to leverage our lives for the sake of the city around us. And today I just want us to see the heart of this series and why it is that we're leaning into this. You know, it has been near to God's heart from the very beginning. Uh, It has been his idea to bless the entire world through his people. It's what he's been doing from the very beginning of scripture all the way up until now. God had this idea that he wanted to bless the entire world and he was gonna use humanity to do it. Now it's gotten blundered along the way and we'll look at some of that. But this has been God's idea. And so we're gonna do like a quick walk through the Old Testament. And I've got some scriptures I'll put up on the screen for you that I want you to see, just a snapshot how from the very beginning, God's idea has been to bless the entire world through his people. We see this uh, most immediately when you open up your Bible to Genesis chapter one. We see this right at the very beginning. And so Genesis chapter one, verse 28, we get this slide on the screen. Uh, this is God and he has just created Adam and Eve at the, the pinnacle of creation. He has created humanity and he looks at them and, and Genesis 1, says, God bless them. That's Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, some of you are going, what in the world does that have to do with blessing all of the earth? Well, God blessed them, but I want you to notice what he says. He says, I want you to multiply, increase in number, and fill the earth. Well, the question we have to ask is, what was he telling them to fill the earth with? He was inviting them to fill the earth with humanity. Now to us, we kinda go, that sounds like a terrible idea. Humanity kinda sucks, you know? We're mean to each other and we're awful. But see, at that point, this was before the fall, before sin had entered the picture. And we remember, I've talked about this the last several weeks, when God created us. He created us in His image. When he made Adam and Eve, he created them in his image and then he blessed them and he said, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to fill the earth with the good image that I've put in you. That from the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve that they may fill the earth with the image and the glory of God. It's God's heart right at the very beginning. And then you keep marching through the story and we all know how it goes. Adam and Eve kind of mess it up, right? Sin enters into the picture humanity begins experiencing pain and brokenness and evil and deceit and murder and all the things that kind of riddle us even up till this day. But God was not done with his idea of blessing the whole world. Now you get to Genesis chapter 12 just a little bit further and we meet this man named Abram. And Abram, we don't know a whole lot about him before God comes to him except for that He lives uh, somewhere on the other side of the Euphrates River from where the majority of the Bible takes place. But God comes to him and he makes this promise to him. We're just gonna read this promise. God comes to Abram and he says, hey, Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And keep going. He He says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. He says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a promise. What an incredible promise. God comes to this man, Abram. He says, hey, Abram, I am gonna bless you tremendously. Your family's become a great nation. And I am gonna bless all peoples on earth through you, that every person will be blessed because of your family. This was God's idea with Abram. I'm gonna take this one guy, I'm gonna bless him so much that all of humanity will feel the blessing that will come through him. And so God's idea to bless all of humanity. Now again, the story keeps going and Abraham has a son. He has a son named Isaac and then Isaac has another son named Jacob and then Jacob has multiple sons and they become the nation of Israel, the kind of the the main players that we read about in the Old Testament. And the Israelites are given this identity from God. And in the book of Exodus, you see where they begin to be set apart for their purpose. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse six, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. If you know that story, they were slaves. They come out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness. And God says this to them in Exodus 19. He says, listen, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation he says, the whole earth is mine, Israel. The whole earth is mine. He says, I've chosen you to be my people and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, what does a kingdom of priests do? What does that have to do with blessing the whole world? You see, God's idea for Israel is that they would be his people. His presence would dwell among them and that they would be like a kingdom of priests, not just to one another, but they would be like priests who helped facilitate the connection of the rest of humanity to their creator. God was saying, listen, when the world looks at you, Israel, they will know that I'm a holy God and that I'm a good God because you are a holy people and you will be my kingdom of priests. So God's idea was to bless the whole world through his people. Now, again, the story keeps going and the Israelites have this radical story where sometimes they get it right and sometimes they screw it up. But ultimately they screwed up and another nation comes and conquers Israel and carries them off into captivity. And Israel finds themselves in this place where they've been taken out of the land that was promised to them. And they've been carried as captives and refugees to the very nation that conquered them. And in the middle of this captivity, there's this man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet and he was trying to call God's people back into their identity. And he writes what must have been just the most like radical letter that had ever been written to the Israelites of their age. And in Jeremiah 29, he sends this letter to those who are living in captivity. And he says this, he says, he says seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will will prosper. Now, I I want you to just let that sit on your hearts for a minute. That God's desire from the very beginning has been to use his people to bless all of humanity, to bless all peoples. And here his people, this people that he has chosen in the Old Testament, they find themselves as refugees like brutally and violently carried away from the land that they know and love to live in a place that is not their own. And while they're there, there's this call to them from this prophet. God says, hey, listen, I want you to tell my people that even at their lowest, even in the midst of oppression, even in the midst of hardship and pain, that they will be a blessing to the people who live around them. And he said, and he invites them, pray for the city in which you find yourselves. You see, God's desire, his dream has always been that his people would be a source of blessing to the people around them, even when they find themselves in unfavorable circumstances. But God's not done. I'm gonna show you one more Old Testament passage. There's this other prophet, uh, this man named Ezekiel. And he was also writing during this time of exile, but he kinda comes speaking a new promise. To the people of Israel. He's saying, listen, it's not going to stay like this. You're not going to forever stay in exile, but God is doing something new. And in Ezekiel verse, uh, chapter 37, verse 26, he says this. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with my people. It will be an everlasting covenant and I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them and I will be their God. And they will be my people. All these promises to Israel. But look at this next verse. Then the nations will know. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Here we see God's promise to the Israelites. He's going to restore to them the promises that he made. But he doesn't say, listen, I'm just doing this just for you, just so that you'll feel pretty good and you and I will be good. He says, now listen, when I do this, the nations the rest of the world, all of humanity will know that I, the Lord, am holy and that I have come to make my home amongst you. You see, throughout all of the Old Testament, we see this over and over and over again. People always go, man, why did God just pick one people? Why was God so like racist? Why did God like just pick one people to represent him? It seems so closed-minded. You see what God has been doing all through the whole story, he's picked one people so that that people can in turn be a blessing to all of humanity. So that through those people, the promise of restored relationship with our creator could be carried out. And that brings us all the way to Jesus. You know, I told you we were going to get to Matthew 5. So in Matthew 5, we find Jesus He is a part of the nation of Israel. And he he shows up as as the son of God, God himself in the flesh. And in Matthew chapter five, he delivers what is perhaps like the greatest sermon of all time. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount, but there's this little snippet where he's gonna look out at the people that have chosen to follow him, to give their lives to following him. And he makes this crazy claim to them. Look at Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 14. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, you are the light of of the world a town that is built on a hill it can't be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl no instead they put it on its stand and it gives the light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven I love this imagery that Jesus uses. He's such a master wordsmith, like I love it. He looks out at those who have given themselves to following him, who by the way, in his day, were most often those who'd been marginalized, rejected, the people who the religious establishment had nothing to do with, and Jesus looks at them and he says, hey guys, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He gives them this identity. He says, This is who you are as you walk with me, as you follow me, as my work begins to work itself out in you, that you become light into the world. And let me tell you how a light functions. You don't hide it, you're not embarrassed of it, you don't get ashamed of it, you don't light a candle and then cover it up. He goes, No. He said, When you turn on a light, you turn on a light so that all can see it, and so that all can see and know the truth. He says, You, my followers, you are the light of the world. He says, so let your light shine so that when people see it, when people see who you are, when people see the work that God is doing in you, it will result in the praise of God Almighty, that people will turn and praise our Father. See, Jesus looks at us, Ethos Church, and he says, hey, do you wanna know your purpose? Do you wanna know your purpose? Because I've invited you in, and you are the light of the world. You know, Jesus came and he died on the cross. And when he did that, he saved us from our own sins. He offers forgiveness. And we've talked about this a lot the last couple weeks. That Jesus opened the door for us to have a relationship with our Father. And then when Jesus did that, he he also opened the door for us to have a new kind of relationship with one another that, that we get adopted. The Bible, all through the New Testament, uses adoption language to talk about the way that we relate to God, our Father. That because of Jesus... God has chosen to adopt us and we are like the heirs of his kingdom. And he chooses to call us sons and daughters and we get relationship with one another as brothers and sisters. So through Jesus, we get relationship with God. Through Jesus, we get relationship with one another. But through Jesus, we also have a calling and a commissioning that our story gets woven in with the story that has been told from the very beginning. That from the very beginning, God has redeemed a people so that the rest of humanity can be blessed, so that the rest of humanity can get a glimpse of God's love and God's mercy and God's kindness and God's justice. Jesus says, you are that light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You know, this is the kind of church that we long to be, Ethos, We long to be a church where the light of what Jesus is doing amongst us is not just confined to what happens within these walls on a Sunday morning. I love being here on a Sunday morning. I mean, I love it. It is like like stoking the fuel of my soul when I come together and I worship with you and I commune with you. I love it. But Jesus says, listen, what I'm doing amongst you is not meant to be confined within the four walls of the cannery. He says, no, you don't light a lamp and then cover it up and hide it. He says, you are the light of the world that should be put on display for the world to see that we have been put here for a purpose, that God has placed us in Nashville, Tennessee, so that the glory of God can be seen seen through us, that we are here for the city, to the glory of God. Now, what, what does this look like? What does it look like when a church fully lives into its identity as being the light of the world? What does it look like for a church to be so loved and appreciated by the neighborhoods around it that if it were to shut down, there would be a grieving and a mourning at the loss of what was done in the neighborhood? You know, I, I experienced this really clearly uh, during my time living in Canada. i never forget that when I first moved uh, to Vancouver, British Columbia, and I was a church planner. And so, you know, a church planner, when they come to a new city, part of your job is just to network and meet people and connect and kind of get the pulse of the neighborhood or the city and find out what's going on. And you know, I moved into a city where just a tiny percent of the people were engaged in any kind of local church. Most people found out I was a Christian and it was kind of like a little, eh, that's a little weird. You know, they didn't want a whole lot to do with me. But I can remember as I'd start talking about what I was doing, I'd go business owner to business owner. I'd tell them who I was, what I was doing in the neighborhood. I'd go to nonprofits and I'd talk to them and I'd tell them. And it never failed that as soon as I told them that my goal was to create a new church community, every single person would say, oh, have you heard of Grandview Calvary Baptist Church? Like every single person. It didn't matter if it was a, a Christian or a non-Christian, an atheist, an agnostic, or an anarchist. Like I would come and I'd say, yeah, well, one of the things I want to do here is, is to start a new church community. And they say, oh, do you know about Grandview Calvary Baptist Church? They're a great church. Or hey, do you know Tim Dickow, the pastor at Grandview Calvary Baptist Church? You should really go meet him. He's a great guy, great church. And I'm like, what is going on here? that everybody in this neighborhood, whether they love Jesus or not, keeps trying to point me to go talk to this pastor. And so I ended up connecting with this church. And I figured out very quickly what was going on. He so said, this was a church that realized that they were called to be the light of the world in the neighborhood where God had placed them. This was a church who radically walked out their faith amongst the people who were cynical and even skeptical of who they were. Grandview Calvary Baptist had so many cool ministries going on in their neighborhood that were really impacting and changing lives. I mean, from from buying up houses that were about to be bulldozed so that they could create intentional communities for people who are walking in recovery to be able to live in the safety of Christian community. They had this thing uh, where they had a a ministry where the homeless could come in and they could uh, make pottery and be taught how to make pottery, to fire it, to paint it so that they could sell it and have a way to earn an income to feed themselves. I think about their faithful preaching of God's word, that these were not a people who gave up the truths of what's in here, but they faithfully lived it out and were seeking spiritual renewal in the people who sat in the building every Sunday. That this was a church that radically lived for justice, and yet in the midst of it, they were still a peculiar people to those outside of the gospel of Jesus people didn't know what to do with what they taught about sexuality or what they taught about how you handle money or what they taught about how to treat your neighbor, but they knew that what they saw was appealing and that it was a blessing to the neighborhood, that Grandview Calvary Baptist was living in such a way that people were seeing not the name on a sign, but they were seeing the fruit of a people who were deeply rooted in the work of Jesus Christ, and they were being a light to the neighborhood. You know, this is is the kind of church that Ethos longs to be, the kind of church that the neighborhoods around us, whether they are following Jesus or far from Jesus, whether they are faithful or fearful of Christianity, that when they hear the name Ethos Church, they go, oh yeah, I know that church, because they seek to be a light and a blessing to our city. You know, this, this heart for Ethos has been, it's been with us from the very beginning, from when we first started as a church 10 years ago. It's one of the reasons why we meet where we meet. You know, Ethos, uh, we didn't choose to meet in a bar because it's cool. You know, we didn't choose to meet at the cannery so that people go, oh yeah, I go to this cool edgy church. You know, they have beer bottles on the bar. You know, it's like, no, we didn't choose to meet here to be cool or edgy. Uh, This location was chosen because we knew that the calling God had given us was to be in the middle of our city where people live life, where we could be right in the mix of all of it. You don't light a candle and put it under a bowl. No, you light it so that all can see you know, this missional move has brought with it some, some hardship. You know, we don't have our own building. And each week, as I said earlier with volunteers, we have to set this space up, which ends up being a blessing because it gives all of us a chance to play and something to do, you know. It's like we all get to serve together. But it also brings with it some inconveniences sometimes. Most people don't know this, but you know, we actually have a week-to-week lease with the cannery owners, <laughs> Because at the very beginning, when they were starting to meet in here, the team and the church at Ethos was very small and didn't have enough money to pay for a monthly lease. So week to week, they would pay. And each week, they'd get enough money to come and pay their week to week lease. And this has worked out okay. But here's the reality. Sometimes over the history of our church, there have been moments where we get a phone call and we say, hey, um, yeah, your week to week lease, you guys can't have your space on this coming Sunday, so uh, sorry. And we're like, "Ah, it always leaves us. But it's like, it's worth it because this is where God has put us to live on mission. You know, in God, God's timing is so good. He has, he has quite the sense of humor I've found sometimes. You see, here's the reality. <laughs> we, got a, we got a call recently from the owners of the cannery. And they said, hey, uh, we hate to do this. We have a great relationship with the owners here. They're amazing and they're so good to us. They called us up recently and said, hey, we hate to do this, but on September 30th, you guys know today's the 23rd, this is next Sunday. On September 30th, there's an event that we really need the cannery for. And so we're, we're really sorry, we hate to do this, but we're not gonna be able to honor your week-to-week lease <laughs> on September 30th. You're not gonna have a building. Now, here's what I love about God's timing, is that God knew, he's known all along this was gonna happen. You know, Some of you are sitting there right now going, wait, we don't have church next week, so just stay with me, listen. <laughs> and some of you are going, yes, we don't have church next week. No, stay with me, listen. <laughs> you know, God knew what he was doing. He knew that right at the beginning of a series where we're talking about living for the city that this was gonna happen. But see, God is even bigger than that. It wasn't just that we're starting a series talking about for the city. God knew that on September 30th, we would have a food drive plan. Now, many of you that have been here for a while, you know what this food drive looks like. For those of you who are new, I'll fill you in. You know, Typically once a year, around this time of year in the fall, we do a huge food drive for our city. Typically, we come into this space first, we sing a few songs, and then uh, either Dave or myself will get up here and say, hey, listen, here's what we're doing today. We're not just going to practice being church and worship today. We're going to go be the church in full sight of our city, and we're going to go raid Kroger and load up U-Haul trucks and take that food to donate to food banks all over the city. And we literally have everybody stand up and march back and leave the building to go to one of several Kroger's in our city where a haul is waiting to be loaded up. How many of you have participated in that before? Let me see. yeah. So, I mean, those of you that have been here that have done that, you know what a joy. It's so fun. Like we get up and we leave and we go buy groceries to bless our city. And guess what? Next week is that Sunday. Next Sunday was our food drive Sunday. It just so happened to be the Sunday where we don't have a venue. And so God knew what he was doing. He's faithful. So I wanna draw your attention to what we're doing because it's amazing that as we begin a new series on being for the city, we get to start the series by going out and living for our city. So on your seat, you'll see a card that looks like this, a little piece of paper. And at the top, it says, food drive next Sunday. Some of you thought, man, they're telling us in advance this year. We usually find out the day of. Well, it's because you're not going to be here next week. (laughs) And so here's how this works. On this card, that little piece of paper, you'll find all the information you need to know. I want to just tell you very clearly what will happen next week. Instead of coming here at nine o'clock, we're asking you, to be the light of the world and go serve our city by showing up at one of those Kroger's that's listed on there, the Melrose Kroger, uh, which is down on Franklin Pike, or the Green Hills Kroger. And we want every single one of you, this is not an invitation to opt out on a Sunday morning because we're not gathering for what we typically think of as church. No, but next week we're gonna get up at our normal times and from 9 to 12.30, we are gonna have teams stationed at Kroger's with U-Haul trucks that are waiting to be loaded up for gro- with groceries so that the hungry of our city can be fed. And we're inviting you to make a choice, to step into your identity as the light of the world. And don't hit the snooze button, don't oversleep, but get up like you normally would and go to one of those Kroger's between 9 and 12.30. Here's what we're asking for those of you who normally come to the nine so that we don't get hit by uh, like a 1,000 people all at the same time. We're just asking, hey, if you'll go closer to that nine o'clock window, that'd be super helpful. <laughs> so next week, get up. Hey, if you wanna sleep in 30 minutes, that's cool. But come sometime closer to that nine window and come ready to buy groceries. Literally, you'll show up. There's a shopping list online. If you go to ethoschurch.org fooddrive food drive, it's at the bottom of the page there. You can download a shopping list. You can go into Kroger, buy as much as you want, bring it out and load it up on the U-Haul and then we'll donate the food. It's one of the most fun things that we do every year and next year we get to live into it as we start a series on what it means for us to be for our city. Now, I wanna just say something about what we're giving food to this year because it's pretty exciting. You know, um, God has put us here for a reason in this building. You know, if, if you know anything about the area that we're in, you know that to, to one side of us kind of over here is the gulch. And I wonder what does it mean for us to be the light of the world to those who live in the gulch? But you know what's interesting is if you travel in a couple of different directions from here, you leave the gulch where it's kind of known to be like the cool place in the city where it's super expensive to live with nice restaurants and nice cars and all of that. But you know, if you drive one mile down Lafayette, which is just off the roundabout over here, if you drive one mile down Lafayette, you come to a little neighborhood called the Napier neighborhood. You know, there are our neighbors. Those in the Napier neighborhood are our neighbors. And a lot of you are sitting here, you would never even heard of the Napier neighborhood. I had never heard of it until recently. You know, the, the, uh, in Napier, 78% of those who live in Napier live below the poverty line in our city, in one little neighborhood, 78%. The average income in the Napier neighborhood, average income is less than $7,000 a year why don't you just let that sink in the average income in the Napier neighborhood is less than $7,000 a year right here a mile from our building currently second harvest food bank would describe the Napier neighborhood as what was called a food desert a food desert is you know any urban area that's more than a mile from a supermarket or a large grocery store and they have limited access to fresh food. So for someone who lives in the neighborhood who does not have a car because they cannot afford a car, if they want to go to the grocery store, they have to get on a bus, so they take that bus into downtown, they have to transfer from one bus to the other that will take them back out 8th Avenue to the Kroger on 8th. It takes them over an hour to get from their house to the Kroger, and then when they come home, they gotta do the same thing again. So the whole trip to the grocery store is gonna be somewhere between two and three hours just to buy some fresh food. But here's what's cool is there's this organization called the Martha O'Brien Center. And the Martha O'Brien Center is working to reduce poverty in our city. You know, they're built on a Christian faith. They seek to empower those who live in poverty, to transform their lives through work and through education and through employment and fellowship. They have this radical dream, this radical goal of ending poverty in the neighborhood in one generation. It's an incredible dream. And they're gonna do this by focusing on the quality of life and education and those things in the neighborhood. But one of the things that they do is they also take care of the short-term needs while people are trying to change their lives. And so in the Napier neighborhood, they have this food pantry, but it's very small. It's very undersupplied. They're only able to be open two days a week for a couple of hours. And so 100% of what we buy next week We will get to partner with Martha O'Brien to stock the shelves of that food pantry so that it can go from being open two days a week to being open five days a week for longer hours. We get to step into being for the city, being the light of the world next week. that instead of meeting here for church, we will meet at Kroger for church and we will load up U-Haul trailers so that we can bless the hungry who literally live one mile from where we're sitting right now. This is what I love though, this is just the beginning. You know, next week starts the beginning and the kickoff of this new series. But it's also just the next step in us living into the identity that Jesus has given us. You know, next week is not an event where we get to go and just pat ourselves on the back. No, it's just one part of us trying to live for God's vision for our city to be the light of the world. You know, Jesus talked often in agricultural terms, He said, listen, you're the light of the world, but he also would tell these parables where he would talk about farming. And my favorite one's in Mark chapter four, where he tells this story of a farmer who goes and puts a seed in the ground. Then it says, all week, whether he sleeps or whether he gets up, he doesn't know how, but somehow that seed grows a stalk and it begins to produce fruit and grain until it's time for the harvest. You see, oftentimes when we live as the light of the world, we are not the ones responsible for bringing the growth. God is at work in our city. And he's putting an invitation to us to step into acts of justice, to step into lives that reflect the goodness of God, to step into living lives that are aligned with the ways of Jesus so that our city can experience a harvest that God alone can produce and we get to participate in it. Who wants to be a part of that kind of a church? Who wants to be a part of a church that lives for the sake of the city, for the glory of God Almighty? I do. I hope that you do. So today, you know, as we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you, please don't leave this. Please don't leave this. This is one of the ways that before we even begin a series, we get to step into living the series. So take this with you. And next week, meet us at Kroger and let's stock up some U-Hauls. And as you get ready to go to communion here in just a minute, I want to just invite you. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what would it look like for my life in the context of the broader church family? to be the light of the world, so that the city of Nashville would know that our Father is good and that he is full of love and full of compassion for them. Just ask him, Jesus, what would it look like? How do you wanna leverage my life, Jesus? And how do you wanna leverage our lives as the church? I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna go get communion. Uh, We're gonna remember that Jesus paved the way, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus opened the door for all of humanity, that God is the one at work. But as we take communion, remember that he's invited us, be a part of it with him let's pray God I love you so much and I love the way that you work I love Lord that you have gone ahead of us Jesus that you paid the price you suffered and died so that we can be invited into the family you brought us together with our father and you said hey you have a father and he is a king and he has a purpose and you've given us meaning and purpose in our life Lord, would you fill us with your spirit today as we commune with you over the bread and the cup, as we remember our place in your family. Fill us with your spirit that we may be a people who truly live into our identity to be the light of the world, that we would be a church that leverages all that we have for the city around us so that they may know the goodness of our Father and King. I love you, Lord. Be near to us now as we worship. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.